where common sense, honest conversation, and thought-provoking discussions thrive in a completely independent forum. This is the Roundup Podcast. Here now is your host, Jeff Eager. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of the Oregon Roundup Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Eager. Hope you're having a good week. Have a Good episode on tap today. I will I will interview Will Lathrop, who is running for Attorney General of the state of Oregon as a Republican. He's from beautiful, stunning Wallowa County. He's done some time helping rebuild justice systems, fight crime in places like West Africa. So his his experience trying to enforce the laws in a banana republic may unfortunately be quite applicable here in Oregon should he win. Nice guy, good interview. Hope you enjoy that. Before we get into the interview, though, just want to kind of catch up a little bit on some of the Fagan and related Oregon stuff. As everyone knows, Shimia Fagan, Secretary of State of the state of Oregon, resigned earlier this week following disclosure that she had a consulting gig with a cannabis company at the same time that her office was conducting an audit of cannabis regulations in Oregon. And surprise, surprise, that audit came out about the time right before she was going to uh, resign. And the audit said, oh, wait, the the regulations are too harsh. We're too hard on the cannabis industry. We need to lighten up on them, which was very close to what Shamia Fagan's client was telling her should be done in the audit. So Funny how that works out, but Shamia Fagan, no longer Oregon Secretary of State. Of course, if you're an Oregon Roundup aficionado, you know that we've spent a whole heck of a lot of time with Shamia writing primarily about her claim to be overseeing an investigation into a half million dollar donation that the Democratic Party of Oregon received from a former executive and admitted fraudster, Nishad Singh, former executive of the cryptocurrency firm FTX, which is now bankrupt. Fagan, as Secretary of State, oversees that investigation. She's been hopelessly conflicted with regard to that investigation, having taken over $400,000 in campaign contributions over the years from the Democrats. She appointed a woman named Molly Woon, who formerly was the deputy director of the Democratic Party of Oregon, to directly oversee the investigation. What needs to happen now, and I wrote about this earlier this week, that investigation simply cannot stay in the Secretary of State's office, regardless of who Tina Kotek appoints to replace Shamia Fagan. As we know from some of the original reporting we did here at the Oregon Roundup, the Democratic Party of Oregon has was using back-channel communications with directly with the investigative team to express displeasure when a preliminary finding in that investigation that was related to a civil fine made the news. And you just can't have a real criminal investigation or a, an investigation into potential criminality when the folks that are supposedly doing the investigation are talking back channel like this with the subject of the investigation. If you go back and read through some of those public records that I included with my piece last week, that is not an arm's length investigator, investigatee relationship there. That is, hey, we all know each other. We're all part of the same team. 
we're kind of putting on a show here is the the sense I got of it. Fortunately, it's easy to get this thing out of the the Secretary of State's office. I've filed a complaint with the Oregon Attorney General asking her to take on the investigation. She is she can do so statutorily when the Secretary of State has a conflict. The Attorney General has her own conflicts because of course, she's a Democrat as well and has done transactions with the Democratic Party of Oregon regarding campaign donations. At least the investigation needs a new start with the career prosecutors that are in the DOJ. I'd have a heck of a lot more faith in those folks than the crew of political appointees that are manning the investigation or at least supervising the investigation in the Secretary of State's office. So that that's something if all the people that are talking about putting faith back in government, and this would include the governor and certainly should include Rosenblum, the attorney general, if they really want to do something about that, they've got to get that investigation out of the Secretary of State's office. And I was happy to see that the the media in Oregon uncharacteristically really got after Fagan on this consulting contract thing. But with some exceptions, the Oregonian being one of them, Hillary Borud, who's a reporter for the Oregonian, has written a couple pieces on this Democratic Party of Oregon donation issue. That's a way bigger issue than the consulting gig. It's it's half a million dollars. It's the largest contribution that the Democratic Party of Oregon has ever received. It was received just before the the election in 2022, at least a portion of it was used to help Tina Kotek, our current governor, get elected. The people that the Democratic Party of Oregon originally misreported, they admit they misreported the source of that donation. Now they're saying it's from this guy, Nishad Singh, who was an an executive for this firm, FTX. Singh has pled guilty to federal campaign finance fraud charges not related to the Oregon charge, the Oregon situation, because the Oregon investigation relates to state law, not federal law. But this guy has admitted that he engaged in federal campaign finance fraud. He is the guy that the Democratic Party of Oregon is is now saying made the donation to the Democratic Party of Oregon. There are questions out there whether that money actually came from Singh or came from FTX. It, itself or from FTX's founder and former CEO, Sam Bankman-Fried. All of this stuff on this half-million-dollar donation thing in Oregon is tied into a much bigger international story about FTX and its officers' attempt to unlawfully channel money into campaigns at the federal and state level. And the fact that the Oregon component of this, which is significant, has not gotten a lot of local coverage is it baffles me. Well, it doesn't baffle me. It annoys me. And so I'll keep talking about it. I'll keep writing about it until they do something about it that actually Oregonians can have some faith in the outcome of an investigation and believe that justice was done. Maybe no criminal laws were broken. Maybe they weren't by the Democratic Party of Oregon or by Singh or whoever actually gave the donation. I don't know that there were criminal laws broken, but I sure do know that if tomorrow the Secretary of State's office said, hey, we looked into criminality and we didn't find any, I would put no stock in that whatsoever. And I think that 
a lot of Oregonians wouldn't either now because they know how corrupt Fagan was. Her corruption, I would argue, extends to and includes this investigation into the donation to the Democratic Party of Oregon. That's a big one on my radar screen. There's also some inclination or some idea that the cannabis company that Fagan contracted with is affiliated with this cannabis company called La Moda. La Moda and its owners gave a lot of money to Democrats, including Fagan, including Kotech, including Democratic campaign committees, et cetera. What's really interesting and something that I'm going to work on writing next when I make some more time is how much of this stuff was going on in early February of this year. So you had Fagan inks her deal with the cannabis company on February 15th, or pardon me, February 20th. She informs the her staff that she's getting out of the cannabis audit because of a conflict related to that work on February 15th. Kotech fires the Oregon Liquor and Cannabis Commission director Steve Marks on February 1st or thereabouts. The story breaks about the Pappy Van Winkle Bourbon Gate scandal February 8th. And the thing that ties all this OLCC stuff in with the La Moda stuff and the Fagan stuff is that La Moda and their owners hated the way Steve Marks ran the OLCC. They felt like they were unfairly picked on, etc. So the, the idea that all of this came about at the same time and they're not related possible, but I'm going to do some more work on that and get something out in writing on it before too long. I think we may be seeing just the tip of the iceberg. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm honestly not a conspiratorial person. I know I, I come across that way sometimes based on the things that I write about. I really think we're kind of seeing the tip of the iceberg in terms of what's going on with the level of corruption in our state government and the degree to which these campaign donors are influencing the folks who run our state. I don't say that lightly, wish it weren't the case, but I think what, what we've seen with Fagan is just the beginning. I'm going to keep writing about it, keep talking about it, and see what else we can turn up here. With that, let's get to our interview of Will Lathrop. All right, now I've got Will Lathrop, who is running for Oregon Attorney General as a Republican, for next November's election. Well, I guess it'll be the May primary and then the November general election. Will, welcome to the Oregon Roundup. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time. I understand, Will, that you're you're from uh, Wallowa County, is that right? Yes, I am. For our Portland listeners, let them know what Wallowa County is. <laughs> <laughs> Wallowa County is, is Oregon's most northeasternly county, so it's kind of wedged in between Idaho and and Washington, and it's the home of Wallowa Mountains and Wallowa Lake, which is one of Oregon's seven wonders. So it's a great place to be from and a great place to visit. Yeah, it sure is. It's one of my favorite places in the state. Absolutely beautiful out there, and it's remote enough that it remains relatively unspoiled by some of the things that are spoiling places like Bend, where I'm I'm talking from right now. Why are you running for attorney general? Well, I've got a background in law enforcement and victim protection. Most of my legal career has been focused on that, either in Oregon or overseas. At one point, Oregon was, was thought to be strong in victim protection and, and strong in law enforcement. And over the past decade, 
And particularly in the last several years, we've, we've become almost the laughingstock of the country. I don't think it's a, any kind of a secret constantly in the national press uh, how poor of a job our leaders have done at protecting the citizens from crime. And I, I wanted to do something with my experience that would impact the state in a positive way. I'm a sixth-generation Oregonian. My family lives here. My dad's still a cattle rancher back in Joseph. And I feel very duty-bound. I feel very called to, to be part of a, a change in a movement back towards civility and protection. What is it, Will, that the attorney general specifically can do to try to restore law and order, for, for lack of a better terminology, kind of bring down crime, restore Oregonians' faith in their state and local governments to protect them and their property. What, what is the AG's role in doing that? Yeah, Oregon's really suffering right now from, it's a complicated question that I'll, that I'll try to make simple. Often the AG is, is thought of as the top cop or the backstop for law enforcement. So, you know, the, the saying, the buck stops here. If you see the metro and even a lot of the, the rural areas becoming at some point lawless and, and property crimes and person felonies, it's absolutely reflective of top level leadership. And so, but specifically, one thing that Oregon's really struggling with after ballot measure 110 is not only addiction, we're the number one addicted state in the, in the country, but we're really struggling with drug cartels and drug distribution. There's really, without the ability to arrest user level, people at the user level, dr- drug users, we're not able to work the cases back to the distributors and then the high level drug traffickers. And so Oregon's in some ways become this sort of free-for-all of drug trafficking and a depot for drug trafficking across the rest of the United States. And these, this drug infusion has caused law enforcement to be, was already on the, on the brink, or have become overwhelmed. This organized crime, it's done at the state level, it's done at a national level, it even goes across the international level. And local municipalities really can't, can't keep up with it, they can't handle it. And organized crime falls under the purview, the statutory purview of the attorney general. Ultimately, the attorney general is really responsible for the uptick in, in drug trafficking and the uptick in human trafficking. So if you're familiar with law enforcement, you know, addiction and drug trafficking, all of the other crimes really cascade out of that. You know, all the property crimes that are largely connected to people stealing things so they can feed drug habit. Violent crimes are a lot of turf wars and gangs and, and people doing violent things that they wouldn't ordinarily do if they weren't so desperate or they weren't uninhibited by drugs. And so cleaning up drugs in Oregon is a big part of moving forward. And the attorney general has done nothing notable in the last 10 years to strengthen the enforcement of drug laws that still exist in Oregon. She sure hasn't. We'll get to some of her priorities here in a minute. But I just wonder from you, you mentioned Measure 110. If you were attorney general, you wouldn't have a you know, you wouldn't unilaterally be able to do anything about Measure 110, but what would you urge the legislature to do with regard to 110 if you were the AG? Well, the first thing, let's back up, because 110 is something that happened, and the, the attorney general's hands aren't clean on that matter in the first place. Like, there was a need in 2020 for experts in law enforcement, experts who knew the truth about what was happening, to stand up and say, this is a dangerous measure, and this is how it's going to end. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican, unaffiliated. Everybody who is an expert in law enforcement and worked in that industry knew about Measure 110 was being misrepresented 
and by the AG's office and the titling being misrepresented. And the results were almost certain. And we're experiencing the exact thing that everybody knew would happen. And what I mean by that is it was billed as is keeping user level people out of jail or out of prison specifically. But the reality was no user level people were going to prison. That was false. Most user level people were going to drug court or being put into treatment. It was a lever to get people actually into treatment in the first place. And so the AG sat quietly and let all of this rhetoric happen. I know I'm not answering your question directly, but it's like there's a leadership issue. It's not just what legislation you pass forward. It's like when you're the top cop, you have to speak with authority and tell the people what's real and what are things are just being sold to them by a think tank in Washington, D.C. that wants to, wants to see a human experiment on Oregonian citizens, which I think is kind of what happened in about Measure 110. So the AG failed in not really standing up and saying something strong and, and being desperate to defeat that in the first place. But putting that aside, the legislature makes the laws, and I'm hoping that in time, what is so obvious to people who are knowledgeable in the industry will come to pass and will recriminalize drugs so that we can actually get people help, that we can actually get back to dealers, and we can start reducing the addiction and we can start reducing the dysfunction. But as an AG, there are also ways to impact drug use and, and in particular drug distribution at a statewide level, even without Measure 110 passed and undisturbed. I, I like your comparison of Measure 110 to a human experiment. We're seeing the effects of the experiment, and it, it has. the only people who think it hasn't failed are the people that are either financially or politically tied to it to the extent that they can't admit it's a failure. Completely on board with you there. What did you do in your career previous to now? Yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So I was a deputy district attorney in Yamo County. That was my first job, which is McMinnville, Oregon, and... Then I went to Marion County, and in Marion County, I, I specialized in child sex abuse prosecution, so prosecuting pedophiles. Also worked in some homicides, domestic violence, adult sexual assaults, and even property crimes. I kind of did any of the drug crimes. I did a little bit of everything, but my, my main focus, I guess, my specialization and where I, where I kind of made my reputation was, was prosecuting pedophiles. Then I went to Washington, D.C. To, to work in that line of work at the national level. And from there, I was recruited away by an organization called International Justice Mission, or IJM. And IJM is the world's largest anti-human trafficking agency. And I led, first of all, I led a team in Uganda to rescue widows and orphans from land violence. And then for the last five years, I've been in Ghana, which is West Africa. And I've led kind of a large operation of multiple teams in multiple offices to rescue child slaves and prosecute slave traders and slave masters, which is a problem Oregon doesn't have quite yet. In doing that, we would also work with the government at the lowest level, rescuing the slaves and prosecuting the traders, but we also worked with the government at the highest level, Supreme Court, Attorney General's office, even the President's office, to try to build up the bones of the justice system in West Africa to be more responsive to the poor, and not just human trafficking cases, but in all cases. And that's what I've been doing before I, I return back to Oregon to run for Attorney General. When you talk about child slavery in West Africa, what does that actually look like? One of the specific project areas we have with Volta Lake is the world's largest man-made lake. And there are tens of thousands of children working in the fishing industry on that lake. And it's just free labor. So they go and they get these kids. They, they either buy them, steal them, or trick the parents out of custody. And they, they take them to the lake. They can go as early as four or five years old six, seven years old, and then they put them to work like slaves all day long, casting nets, cleaning nets, cleaning fish, taking fish to market, smoking fish, it's free labor. So it becomes impossible to compete in an industry like that because 
your neighbor can sell his fish for less because he doesn't have to pay labor costs. So then eventually everybody starts using slaves and they have tens of thousands of slaves. So we'd rescue the children. We would prosecute the slave traders, the masters, and everybody involved in the industry. And we saw a significant reduction in the prevalence of child slavery in the five-year period I was there just by prosecuting the crime. Jeff, this is a crazy idea that Oregon lost focus on recently, that if you hold people accountable for breaking the law, they stop doing it. That's super interesting background in Africa. And it's unfortunately fair to say that some of that in terms of just kind of a, a failure to enforce the law uh, that you dealt with combating there, you know, obviously a much worse situation than what we have in Oregon right now, but the same type of situation that we've made for ourselves here. When did you stop working in Africa? How long have you been back? I stopped in December of 2022. So I've been back since that time and I've been really kind of hitting the trail hard since the beginning of January. Well, good for you. I want to talk about Ellen Rosenblum, who's the currently the attorney general, and most Oregonians probably don't know that. This morning I went on her website just to kind of see what she's up to and was horrified, of course. So on her website, here's she has all these spotlights for on issues that she thinks are the most important right now, apparently for her office. The first is reproductive rights. The second is COVID-19 response. And the third is warming climate. Then we get into elder abuse and opioid abuse, which seem somewhat more reasonable to me. And then student loan debt is also on this list. Nowhere on the list is, you know, just the overall crime epidemic that we're seeing in Oregon, the drug epidemic we're seeing in Oregon, suicide, you know, murder rates in Portland through the roof, all the stuff that Oregonians are terrified of right now and that a lot of Oregonians think are ruining our state don't even register with Rosenblum. What's your take on on her as her performance as AG? You know, the AG office has been it's a partisan office, but it really is kind of a nonpartisan job, like a judge. I mean, what you're supposed to do is enforce the law and and in such a way that's best for Oregon and Oregonians. And I think the mistake that Ellen's made that some of her predecessors, who are also Democrats, haven't made is she's made it a very political office. It's become quite a partisan office. So you're listing a lot of things that you would think as top priorities are sort of a light touch, if no touch at all, for the AG's office that are listed as like student loans that are listed as top priorities. I mean, it just sounds like a list of partisan politics to me, which I'm not really all that interested in, honestly, Jeff. I'm interested in using the office to uphold the law and establish the rule of law and establish a minimum of expectations for for all Oregonians. And it is it is alarming that the one thing that she really can do or the, or the part that she can really have a major impact on is is crime and lawlessness. And, and those are at best low down on her list. It sure is. Somehow through some terrible crime I must have committed in a prior life, I'm on her email list. I kind of have to assume that at some point she put everyone who's a, regi- a licensed lawyer in Oregon on her email list. That's the only way I can figure out I, I ended up on there. The stuff she pumps out to her email list is just a constant stream of hardcore left-wing talking points that have, in many cases, nothing to do with what's actually happening in Oregon. It's just tied into kind of what the national 
left-wing kind of legal slash media industrial complex is focused on, like the Clarence Thomas stuff, et cetera. And it's, it's really remarkable how off-base her, to me, her messaging is versus what most Oregonians, Republican, Democrat, and independent alike, are concerned about right now. I may be wrong about this. I probably shouldn't <laughs> say this on something that's recorded, but I don't think anybody has has ever fought a fourth term as an AG before. There aren't there aren't term limits. And this is probably a good example of somebody that seems to have lost touch with the or gotten bored with just doing the will of the, of the local people. There's a lot of investment engagement of things at a national level that you'd want to have your your own house cleaned up first before you were going to right or left, you know liberal or conservative or progressive, however you want to put it, like you'd want to get, get your own house cleaned up before you started worrying about some of these other national, because we actually have a government that's in charge of those national issues. So I, I think with her, it, it seems somebody that's, that's been in office for a long time and is, and is using the office for specific personal viewpoints, and that's not what an AG does. That's what a legislature does, maybe. That's what a, the governor does, possibly, but AGs don't do that. AGs follow the law, uphold the law, and do their job. It's very simple. Yeah, and it'd, it'd be one thing if the the Oregon was just humming along and we didn't have any law enforcement issues or crime issues. That's not the case. Another, another subject that's kind of risen to the top of conversation here in Oregon, just corruption in the state government. Of course, everyone saw the spectacle of Shamia Fagans, the Secretary of State, resigning earlier this week in the wake of disclosure that she had entered into a contract for consulting with this cannabis business that conflicted with her with her official duties. Here at the Oregon Roundup, one of my obsessions has been the fact that the supposed criminal investigation into a half million dollar donation from a former executive of the cryptocurrency firm FTX to the Democratic Party of Oregon prior to the 2022 election, that 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 investigation is supposedly being conducted right now by the Secretary of State's office, which is a major problem because Fagan's taken a bunch of money from DPO, and it'll continue to be a problem when a replacement is is put in because Fagan had appointed the former deputy director of the Democratic Party of Oregon to be the immediate supervisor of the investigation into her former employer. What role, if any, do you think that the attorney general has in trying to clean up Oregon government? And what what would you try to do in that position to make sure that Oregonians can rebuild their faith in this state government we have? You've asked something that, that requires a sermon to be preached, but I, I, I would, I would just, I would say in short, just to keep it, keep it brief. This is not a surprise. <laughs> this is exactly what you would think would happen. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. You just can't have a single party and not only a single party, but a single portion of the party, a very left-leaning, progressive, almost radical portion of the party control the state for this long and not expect that there'd be no accountability and corruption to ensue. And you saw that at OLCC, you've seen that with the, the Secretary of State. Look, Jeff, I, I worked in Africa, and I worked with the government closely in Africa, and corruption is in, is pervasive in a lot of African governments, and it holds the economy down. It has this ripple effect across all things. And it's, it's a huge reason why many, many countries in Africa are not able to 
to really progress and really get out of the label of third world or developing, it largely becomes because their public leaders are acting in their own financial or power interest, and they're not they're not following the will of the people. It's very concerning. It should not be taken light. It's not a one-off. It's very concerning that it takes the media, it takes the Willamette Week to break a story like this, something that is so obvious. And there's just there's no accountability when you have a group of friends running the state of Oregon for a long period of time. So. It wouldn't matter if it was Republican. It wouldn't matter if it was independent, Whigs, Democrats. If one party runs, it becomes institutionalized and runs everything, it, you're going to find corruption there. And unfortunately, that's what Oregon is right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we used to have a reputation of being pretty clean government state. And now I think that we're kind of closer to the Illinois and New Jersey end of things than the the, the better end of things. And in large measure because the party in power doesn't think they think they can get away with it and they've gotten kind of stupid in cases and they're really pushing their luck in some of this stuff that they've done it's nice to see Fagan at least get caught in the act and hopefully the media doesn't forget how fun it is to actually hold government officials accountable if i can just add cuz i think this is an important and this is a fine point i hope i hope that people pick up going forward Again, I don't want to talk about it too much, but I've been working overseas, so I know how our governments work. And the difference between corruption in the U.S. and Africa is that if you get caught with it in Africa, nothing happens to you. You might lose your job or you might be demoted, demoted, but there's no criminal punishment for sure, and there's really even a financial punishment. For a secretary of state to be taking money while they're uh, from an industry that she's auditing seems suspiciously criminal. I'm not saying it is. I don't know the facts of the case. I only know what everybody else knows that they've read in the newspaper. But what makes our country strong in our democracy and, and creates faith in government from people is when somebody does something wrong that they go to jail. They're not treated like they're immune to the law, but they're treated, they're actually treated more harshly by the law because they're giving a fiduciary, they have a fiduciary responsibility and, and a, a certain authority that, that comes with higher level of accountability. And that's something I, I'm, I'm struggling to see in Oregon right now. Are people going to go to jail for doing this? Because if they don't, what's, what's the repercussions? The worst that happens is she doesn't have a job anymore. She'll make more now than she ever did as a secretary yeah, of state. Yeah, it solves her problem to a degree. I'm worried that people are going, oh, the justice was done here. She's resigned. We'll move on. But no, that just sends a message to everybody else that the worst that's going to happen, I might as well take this money because the worst that's going to happen to me is I might lose my job and then I'll go just get a different job because I'll have inside information on the government and everybody will want to hire me as a consultant. I really hope that there's going to be full investigation. And if there's criminal activity, I hope it leads to prosecution. And if there's prosecution, she should go to jail. For sure. Kind of last line of questioning here for you. Who was the last Republican AG? Was it Fronmeyer like a zillion Fronmeyer. years ago? I think it was 1992, but don't quote me on that. It's in the 90s. That was a long time ago. I, was, I wasn't even old enough to vote in the 1992 presidential election. So, yeah, tells you how long it's been since the Republicans been attorney general. How do you plan to break that cycle, Will? What's, what's your strategy for trying to break through this longstanding drought Republicans have had in being able to win statewide office in Oregon? I think there's a lot of factors that have gone into the lack of Republican leadership in the AG's office for some time. I mean, part of it is what kind of candidates are these candidates that are going to be going to run the office in a nonpartisan way? Or are they partisan candidates? I think there's other factors that 
that are more than just the mass of Democrats and Republicans and unaffiliated affiliated voters in Oregon, if that makes sense. But specifically to me, Jeff, I don't want to sound I don't want to sound overconfident, but Oregonians are upset. Like it's united. It's not a partisan thing anymore. People are mad about addiction. They're mad about crime. They're mad about corruption. You can't talk to anybody and have them go. Oregon's great right now. I love it how it is. It should never change. Not only do they say that they're not happy how it is, they're going to tell you the exact same things that you and I think are the problem. They're going to say there's way too much addiction. There's way too much crime. We have an issue with homelessness. There's become this urban rural divide and people are wanting are disenfranchised. They're going to name all the things we're going to name. And so it's times like these where change happens. It's times like these where the status quo, like the current government, they can't be the change actors because they don't know how to do it any differently. It's how they've done it that have led us here in the first place. And so running for attorney general right now against an attorney general or whatever lieutenant follows her, whoever runs in this race for 2024, they're going to have a, a tough road to hoe because they're going to have to explain why the state is in such a disaster and they haven't done anything about it. And they're going to have, as you just listed, they're going to have their own priorities listed. And those priorities are not going to be congruent with what the rest of the state is feeling. And, and so I feel very confident that a Republican can win. It's just whether or not, as a candidate, I can execute that well enough. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's certainly going to take some I, – I agree with you that, the, in theory, the dynamics for Republicans doing well, especially in the attorney general race – this cycle are in place just because of how central law enforcement is and all this corruption stuff that's kind of front and center in people's minds, at least right now. It's sure going to take some some work on your part or whoever the Republican nominee's part is to draw those distinctions and grab people's attention in an environment in which, you know, the cabal to which Rosenblum or whoever runs in her stead belongs has such an advantage in money and influence and they have a a media that is largely sympathetic to their views on these issues and it's always going to be an uphill fight but i'm super glad you're you're taking it on will where can people find out more about your campaign like on the website or social media what do you where do you point people the elections in november 2024 so so we're, we're kind of in the fledgling part of our campaign right now but we do have a we do have a kind of a minimalist website. It's willathrop.com, just my name.com, willathrop.com. It gives you some information about Oregon and about me. It'll probably become quite a bit more expansive over, over time, but that's kind of where we're at. And then also you can just search for my name on social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well, Will Lathrop. Awesome. And that's L-A-T-H-R-O-P, right, Will? Yes, sir. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks, Will, so much for uh, stepping up and running and wish you the best of luck. You know, assuming you get the nomination, we'd love to have you back on, you know, maybe before the primary, but certainly after the primary. Check back in with you on the race. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate that. Thanks, Will. Have a great afternoon. Yep. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Will, as I mentioned, has an uphill battle winning a statewide office as a Republican in Oregon, but there's reasons to believe that that this is a cycle in which maybe that's more likely than it has been in a while. Super nice guy, his experience, you know, being a prosecutor here in Oregon and then trying to stand up some semblance of criminal justice, of functional criminal justice system in West Africa certainly lends itself well to what needs to be done here in Oregon as well. So I uh, certainly wish him the best of luck and 
We will be back next week for another episode of the Oregon Roundup podcast. If you have not yet subscribed to the Oregon Roundup podcast on your podcast app of choice, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc., please do that. It helps people find us. You can find past episodes of the, the podcast as well as the Oregon Roundup newsletter. Subscribe to both at Oregon Roundup, all one word, no hyphens, dot substack dot com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Roundup Podcast. To share your thoughts with Jeff, you can email him at jeff at oregonroundup.com. You can also subscribe to his newsletter at oregonroundup.substack.com. 